You there, Tartar Sauce? I am, man. Welcome to Keeping the Nostalgia Alive, the Indiana Basketball Memory Show. I am your host, Billy Powell. Uh, today with us, we have a kind of a, a special show today, uh, and we kind of want to get it out there on what's been happening with the plight of former American Basketball Association basketball players, and uh, who who better to talk to about this, Who uh, a guy who's kind of leading the charge and, and wants to make sure that those former ABA players, which man has dwindled down to just you know basically over a hundred of them left uh get taken care of uh like they uh uh, should be taken care of under what they thought they were being taken care of when the aba merged with the nba and uh we got uh uh, two-time aba champion bob nettolicki with us and we also have uh, a co-founder of the DroppingDimes.org, Dropping Dimes Association. You can go to DroppingDimes.org and you can help donate and help with these former ABA players, which are having some issues and problems. Uh, and that is uh, attorney um, Scott Tarter. Uh, both of you guys, thank you for joining us. Welcome. Thank you, Billy. Hey, glad to be here, my man. You know, what? Uh, one of you guys take this lead and, uh, you know... I don't think people really understand what the former American Basketball Association players, which you kind of go into, you guys changed the game, which is a book that was written with uh, Bob Nedelicki and others uh, that we'll also discuss a little bit later in the program. But you guys, you guys take, take the ball and run with it and let us know what is the true issue and what is happening to those former ABA players that you guys are trying to change or fix for them. Well, I'll tell you, I'll start it out, and I'll let Scott come in. Uh, about 10 years, actually in 2009, around then, it was right when I was turning 65, uh, I called the NBA, and I said, you know, I want to apply for my pension benefits. And back then, see, I was a player rep for the team back then, so I knew what all went on in the merger uh, uh negotiations and part of the negotiations was that they agreed that any eligible ABA player which meant you had to play at least three years or more would be would be grandfathered into the NBA pension program and uh, that was one of the stipulations for our player association to even agree to the merger and it happened and the four teams actually agreed to this Uh, you know 30 years later uh, when I went to check, the NBA said, well, we don't have anything. You'll have to call San Antonio. So I called San Antonio, and they really they were supposed to manage the pension, but they were in charge of managing the old ABA pension, which was basically uh, a lost cause years ago. And uh, they, had, they really didn't have any records or anything, so I found some attorneys up in Chicago <coughs> They would try and help us out a little bit, and they did some extensive research, and and they found all kinds of things that uh, you know the NBA and they had basically what had happened is they they just didn't fund our pensions, and they even found letters that the NBA sent to the ABA teams saying you know guys where's your money and their their reply was crazy it was like well we didn't know it cost that much, and uh, and. Uh, just a lot of little stuff like that and I think we could have filed some huge enormous lawsuit but again you know how and I can and Scott will tell you the way lawyers work we'd probably be sitting and answering the interrogatories for 25 years before they did yeah. anything and at our age and at our age uh, I'll tell you something Billy, 
And then what happened down the road a little bit was uh, they agreed to uh, take care of some of the guys that, that they'd actually should have gotten some money uh, other other even in the pension. And uh, there was a little thing worked out, and, and there was a little lawsuit. Uh, very small numbers. Each player got a couple five grand or something, which was nothing. And uh, they kept petitioning the NBA to do what was right, like they did the pre-65 guys. And I'm going to fast forward like about 2015, you know, the, the, the pre-65 NBA players and the players that played not just the NBA, but the BAA and the NBL, which was which merged to become the NBA, uh, they gave these guys a $300 a month per year they played. So a guy that played five years gets $1,500 a month. And they gave that. They didn't have to, but they gave that to the NBA players because they said, hey, they're pioneers. It's the right thing to do. Well, our opinion is that the ABA players are as much, as much, if not more, pioneers of the modern game than any of them were. And the sad part is we started out, when I started this thing out, there was 190 guys eligible. And in 10 years, 11 years, and it sounds crazy, but there's barely 100 left. And just this year alone, we've lost seven or eight guys. And um, it's just, it's really sad. And people don't understand out there that our players didn't make any money. Even the NBA players back then. I mean, it was 15, 20 grand a year back then. But if you were an NBA player that played back when I was playing and played six years, your NBA pension now is almost $12,000 a month based on what they were trying to tell ours was worth like a couple hundred dollars, which really did, the reason for that was we never had any, um, legal representation in the cost of living increases and things like that and the collective bargaining stuff, but that's a blah, blah, blah. But anyway, we kind of, we're in a hole. And, then Scott, and a guy named John, Dr. John Abrams organized this Strong Times Foundation. They're just big, huge Pacer fans and, and big ABA fans, and they've heard some stories. And, and what they've basically done is they haven't really, it's not their job to give guys a pension, but there's a lot of guys out there that played one year, two years, that are really hurting. I mean, there's and there's guys out there that played ten years that are living with their parents now or something, or they're living in a in a in a shack somewhere. They they just there was no money back then, and uh, they the dropping dimes basically was going to help some guys out. And I know Scott can tell you they actually helped guys. They had one one guy that couldn't afford to bury his daughter when she died, and they helped him out, which is kind of sad. And it's not like today's game where, you know, if you're a terrible player, you're going to get out of the game with $20 million in the bank. I mean, it's just, it's it's a whole new ball game. And all we want to do is just be recognized. I mean, it'd be nice if we got the NBA pension. Now, an NBA pension, a 10-year player right now, gets almost 19000 a month. That's not a bad little pension. But, you know, we aren't asking for that. All we're asking to do is be treated like the pre-65 guys at the 300 a month. So, it's, so uh, uh, you know, they only had nine years in the NBA. So the max the ABA, so if you played nine years, you get 2,700 a month, which is basically Social Security money. And, but, uh, uh, you know, and then Scott, about, oh gosh, a year and a half ago or so, took up the cause and he saw this pension uh, situation and how wrong it was. And I got to give him credit, you know, Scott, Scott and his law firm and John, they're doing this on their own time, their own dime. They've told us that they're not going to do all the legal work for free, which is amazing. And uh, 
I just think that it's time the NBA steps up. And if you heard, and Scott can tell you what it will cost the NBA, because they split it with the Player Association, and the Player Association is pretty much in our corner. Uh, it's just, it's just, it would be like them missing a cup of coffee one day. That's how it, it's just no money at all. When you when you take an organization that's going to make ten to fifteen billion dollars next year, a million dollars a year isn't going to hurt, and that's about what it would cost them. So I think Scott, I'm, I'm talking. I'm starting to get hoarse. I need some coffee, so I'll let Scott <laughs> jump in here now. Well, you know, Billy, just to just to uh, build on what Neto just said, I mean, you you can kind of think of if you want to know what the situation is for the ABA guys in the pension, you can think of the players as being in two different buckets. And the first bucket is what Neto described. The first bucket would be guys who played were playing on the four ABA teams, uh, the Nets, the Nuggets, um, the Spurs, and the Pacers, at the time of the merger between the NBA and the ABA in 1976. The players who played for those teams, they, you know, they had a, a, a those teams continued their pension continued, and there was a continuing responsibility, legal responsibility, to administer those pensions. And Neto, you know, is talking about the guys who were impacted by by that, and a subsequent lawsuit uh, that was filed by a firm up in Chicago uh, several years ago, and that has now been settled, and the four teams, you know, uh, stepped up and settled settled those pension claims. But that was a very small bucket of guys who, you know, who who played for those four teams and and who, uh, you know, were entitled to some money from those continuing pensions. What what we're now talking about is all the rest of the ABA, um, and and those guys to the extent that they were not compensated for their for their time in the ABA, and so this is really this is we're really talking about a group of guys here who were, you know, were legends and real pioneers in the game of pro basketball, and really had a huge impact in the way the game is played today, and they have zero pension. I mean, absolutely zero. They've never received anything, and they, as of today's date, don't don't have any ability to receive anything. And the Dropping Diamonds Foundation was formed in 2014 when, uh, you know, through uh, our great friend, Neto's best friend, Mel Daniels, um, he and Neto and several of the local Pacers were talking to um, uh, John and I about the fact that a lot of the ABA players are hurting and uh, not doing so well these days. Um, and, and so we formed this not-for-profit charity, and we helped a lot of guys, but... But more recently, we've realized, man, if there was, a, if the a, if the NBA cared just a little bit more, or today's players cared just a little bit more about these pioneers, you know, who who, who really have a lot of responsibility for making the game as marketable and as popular as it is today. If they just cared a little bit more about them, you know, there's there's uh, about 115 guys left, uh, many of whose lives would be changed by a very small $300 a month. Per, per year of service pension. And, uh, I mean, it would be essentially a drop in the bucket to today's NBA and players. It would, you know, we've run some numbers, and according to our calculations, again, if you take, there were nine years of ABA, so if you take guys who played three or more years, don't even, you don't even help the guys who played less than three years. You know, Dropping Dimes Foundation will be there for them. But if you just start with a threshold of three years of service, um, and then you go up to the you know guys like Louis Dampier who played a full nine years in the ABA, um, and and Neto, um, you know you would you you can you can calculate just a just a three hundred dollar a month pension for those guys um, per year of service is is about two million dollars a year, 
today, shared equally between the NBA and the Players Association, is about a million a year, which in relative terms is a very, very small amount of money. Um, and then, uh, unfortunately, that number would be declining over time very quickly, and probably there would be no need for this pension, sadly, 10 years from now. Yeah, thanks a lot, Scott. <laughs> well, sorry, man. Neto's going to live till he's like 130, but we're I don't know. I don't have... know. I don't know. I'm having chest pains today. I'm having chest pains. I don't know, man. <laughs> so how hard is it to get an ear from those who need to uh, address this situation? Is it very hard? Is it, it, does the NBA, are there, is there a, a big percentage of people that don't want to talk about it? Has, has stuff been said, no, we want to, don't want to have anything to do with it? How hard is it to get more from, um, from sugar than it is vinegar? Does that make sense? Well, I've, well, spoke, to, uh, I've spoke to some people uh, in the NBA, and they've told me that the key to the whole deal is, is the NBA Player Association, and and, and uh, Scott has talked to uh, Ron Kleppner, who's the lead attorney for them, and uh, has some pretty good conversations with him. And they, they've told me that basically, you get the NBA players to sign on to this, the NBA will jump on, because there's a lot of guys in the NBA office, old timers, that really hate the ABA because we kind of we 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 basically took their game and revolutionized it, and they'll never admit it in a hundred years, but. Uh, but uh, you know, you, you get the you get the players involved, and, and I'll tell you a situation. Back when the pre '65 guys were fighting for their pension, and there was a guy named Bill Toshev. I don't know if you remember him. I think he played at IU years ago. He was rookie of the year in the NBA, like in 1946 or something. And he he uh, he got offered some big coaching jobs when he got out. But his family was wealthy and lived in California, so he moved back. But he got on this thing. He actually went before Congress and yada da 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 da, da and. Uh, of course, they had no legal right, but he pursued it and pursued it for about 10 or 15 years, and he finally got the NBA to agree. And one of the things that happened was that you remember a player named Juwan Howard? Mm-hmm. Played, at, played at Michigan with, uh, you know, Fabulous Five, where they were. Mm-hmm. And uh, Juwan was a big-time player in the NBA, and he was president of the NBA Player Association, and he became a big advocate for those guys. He got in their corner. He pleaded their case to the NBA. He got the NBA Player Association to back it. And that's what we're trying to do right now. I actually spoke, and, and, and uh, Scott was with me. We were down at the hotel when Houston was in town, and I spoke to Chris Paul about this. And Chris is a good guy. He, he understands. And, and I spoke to him for about 20 minutes about this, and I sent him some material. And, uh, you know, he's the president of the NBA Player Association, and, you get, and LeBron's vice president. And, and two guys like that in our corner would be really – would be a heck of a deal and again of course bob costas has been a vocal person about this too bob has said that he would actually go with us to meet with adam silver to plead our case and it's really not i don't think it's the money i i think that there's some underground stuff in the nba that they just don't want to recognize the aba or whatever it is but what really irritates me and scott will tell you this for 15 years the pacers have been selling ABR, my jersey, Mel's jersey, ABA, ABA stuff. All over the league, San Antonio, all over the league, and the, they've been selling ABA memorabilia, like the Nets sell retro jerseys. And the, we have got not one penny from this. 
And the NBA merchandising is huge. And I know all the players share in it. The players get a big chunk of that merchandise. So I think, you know, I, I just think it, the fair thing to do, if what we're asking, I mean, we should really, we were promised the full pension. We should go ahead and say, yeah, we want 2000 a month per year. But we don't want to do that. We, we, we agree that if they would just recognize us with this $300 a month uh, pension, which is the same they gave the guys that played back in the BAA in the, in the 40s before the NBA was around, and I was talking to Slick. I was over at Slick's house yesterday, and Slick was kind of laughing. He says, man, he says, I don't think there's many of us left. <laughs> and he couldn't even and say that. No, no, you know, to be fair, you know, um, I, I want to I make sure I point out, you know, the, the Indiana Pacers have been an unbelievable supporter of the Dropping Dimes Foundation and the, and the ABA guys. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they have, um, absolutely. They were our primary sponsor for the, for the ABA 50th reunion. You know, Herb Simon and the Simon Foundation stepped up in a massive way. They, uh, you know, they, they essentially gave us Bankers Life Fieldhouse at cost and then sponsored us, you know, to, to, to a significant tune to cover all those costs. So they've been a huge proponent of ours. They helped us right. get Roger Brown's Hall of Fame jacket back when it was out on the open market in an auction. <laughs> so they, they've, been, they've been wonderful and they've been, well, you know, that has been I, that's really by their, their ABA legacy. You know, right. I didn't but, mean to. Slight, I didn't mean to slight the uh, Pacers about the selling the jerseys because the jersey sales. There's a huge profit margin that goes to the player association, the NBA. You have to to sell all those jerseys that are sold worldwide. The Pacers, anybody that sells them, a big chunk of that money goes straight to the NBA player association. It's a license they get from the player association, and that's where the player association gets a, a huge amount of revenue. And uh, you know, the, the, it doesn't matter. The Pacers could sell them at cost; they'd still have to pay the they'd still have to pay the NBA Player Association you know, a licensing fee to to, to sell these. So, but, so you know, you know but Neto, though, and Billy, I think with you and such a such a such a great proponent of of Indiana basketball history, you know, that you are, and and your listeners, um, I think what would really strike a chord with those folks is the same thing that strikes a chord with me and my partners on the Dropping Dimes Foundation, and that and that is this: it's it's you know, we've had conversations with the NBA at very high levels, um, their, their executive management. Um, we've had uh, very high-level discussions with the Players Association executive management. Um, and they're, they're, they're all kind people. They're nice people. They talk to us. It's kind of amazing sometimes that they take the time to do it. it it's come, become <laughs> crystal clear over the last year and a half of looking into this that it's really up to the players. It's up to today's. NBA players, and, and this is the part I think will resonate with you and some of your listeners. To me, Neto's a humble guy, and so he's not going to say anything about this, but in order for Neto, you know, and th this is me being an, you know, a Pacers fan and an ABA guy, but you know, here's a, not only a two-time ABA champion, but a four-time ABA All-Star, you know, a guy who averaged over 26 points a game in the, in the finals, you know, the ABA finals, uh, and it was 1969, I think that was, um, I mean, at times had the had the Pacers on his back in 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 crunch time in in huge situations, and he had to go with me to the Conrad Hotel downtown, and we sat at the at the at the Dagon Bar, you know, for two hours, waiting for the team bus, the Houston Rockets team bus, to pull up, uh, to to you know to grab a hold of 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 Chris Paul, and you know, and, and that that that's, that just drives me crazy. I mean, to me, Bob Nettlelicky ought to be able to pick up the phone. And uh, you know Spencer Haywood and Rick Barry 
and uh, Artis Gilmore, Dan Essel, Louis Dampier, all these other amazing guys, George McGinnis, these amazing guys who are on our advisory board, to just be able to pick up the phone and talk to these guys. But it seems like they're just untouchable. I mean, it just seems like they're in such a lofty position, you know, um, from the standpoint of being stars and so well recognized that it's impossible to get an audience with them. And somehow we need to get them to understand that the pioneers who made it possible for them to make the kind of money they make and for the owners to make the kind of money they make um, and, you know, just need a little help here, and it's not much. Well, you know, Billy, you know, too, uh, like you said, accessibility. I mean, some of these guys, I won't even talk to you, but like when you called Dan Issel, great guy, great, great interview. All these guys, you know, you mentioned ABA, and they're just thinking, like I said, I can call Dan tomorrow. Hey, no, 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 no. We're all, we're all like in a big fraternity, and, uh, and we're all kind of have each other's back. And it's just, it's just, a, it's a darn shame what, uh, what the, what they, because you got, you got excellent, good, and I'm not going to mention names because you got a lot of proud guys out there. But there's a guy in Kentucky that was a guard, played with me in San Antonio and played Kentucky and really a good player. And this guy has has got an arm that is paralyzed in a car wreck, has to live with his aunt because he doesn't have two nickels to rub together. And you don't think a lot of money, but you say, well, he played five years in the ABA. Well. You know, you think fifteen hundred dollars a month. Somebody say, "Well, that's chump change," but fifteen hundred dollars a month is a life changer for guys like this. And, and that's what we, we, you know, we're not asking for the huge NBA pension some of these guys are getting. I mean, there's guys that played two minutes a game in the NBA for ten years that are getting twenty thousand a month, and, and no, you couldn't, you could ask a thousand people, nobody knew who they were. But yet, you've got these really good players in the ABA, really good players. That are just basically struggling out there, and uh, it's it, it, it's just it's it's so the money is so minuscule as far as the NBA's go. The NBA's huge. I mean, the money. Oh my gosh! And it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And uh, well, yeah, this such is a wonderful, right? wonderful the thing wonderful. from a money grab because because we're on the front lines helping these guys. And and Neto's 100% right. I mean, what we what we do for these guys is 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 clothing, um, shoes. You know. Uh, um, we've helped guys, as Neto said, bury their loved ones. Um, you know, we've helped guys get uh, medical care that they were unable to afford. We've helped guys uh, fix their cars because they can't get to work in their mid-70s because they they don't make enough money from their from their um, uh, Social Security to to pay the bills. So this isn't this isn't a money grab. This is a situation where if the NBA and the players and the, and if the players backed it, it would happen. Um, where well, they could just pretty... give, you know, we're talking, like I said, 115 guys who would, would get anywhere from $900 a month to $2,700 a month. It's not legally, uh, you know, there's, it's not a legal obligation. It's just sort of what, what what's right here. You know, you know, another thing, another thing, Billy, is that, uh, you know, these guys, <laughs> it's it's not so much that they didn't work in their lives, but a lot of these guys, when they got out of basketball, they didn't know anything else. They didn't. A lot of them didn't have good college educations, so they didn't make a lot of money in their lifetime. So some guy, and I know another guy who was an excellent player, excellent player in the ABA, and he's living right now on six hundred bucks a month on Social Security. And the guy was the top, top and he played like six years in the ABA, and and I uh, he's living in an apartment. He makes about six hundred fifty dollars a month in Social Security, and that's it. And uh, you know, it's just. You know, a guy like him, fifteen hundred dollars a month is a life changer. That's what he would get, fifteen hundred dollars. So, uh, you know, it's just 
it, it's such a small request that I'm very, I'm just shocked that, you know, the funny part is we talk about money. If, if it costs the NBA a million dollars a year to do this, to fund this, uh, a guy like Chris Paul makes more, makes that much in two games. <laughs> So, there's, but, well, yeah. and also just if I could jump in really quickly and just talk a little quick, very quick basketball. I mean, when you you know when you really think of the impact the ABA had on the NBA, that's what makes the, that's what really magnifies you know the unfairness of this situation. I mean, you you know when this, the merger, um, such as it was, right? It was only four of the ABA teams going into the NBA. Um, it happened in 1976. All the other ABA teams besides the four that continued on just you know just died and that you know there was an incredible influx of talent came in to the nba from the aba and i mean 10 of the 24 nba all-stars who played the first year after the merger were former aba players you know uh, julius irving who was an aba guy was the all-star game mvp that year you know don boozy of the aba pacers led the league that year in assists and steals um you know dave twardzik was an aba guy he led the nba in shooting percentage and started for the 77 NBA champ, Portland Trailblazers. Um, you know, one thing that's amazing to me when you think about the style of play today is that the two highest scoring teams in the NBA the year after the merger were the Denver Nuggets and the San Antonio Spurs from the ABA. And if that doesn't tell you what, you know, what kind of up-tempo style of play the ABA brought, you know, that's being enjoyed by everybody today, I mean, nothing else will. You know, Darnell Hillman, ABA Pacers won the first you know, NBA first slam dunk competition during the 77 NBA Finals. You know, the three-point shot comes from the ABA. You know, you can just kind of go on and on and on. Hey, Billy, did you know that, and we'll get to this later, but my book tells, like I said, the real stories. But see, in 1970, after the third year, the NBA and the ABA had agreed 100% to merge. All the NBA, the NBA owners agreed it was a done deal in the summer of, of 1970 so there was, we would have all merged in the NBA and then Oscar Robertson and a couple guys filed that suit in federal court and stopped the merger for six years now if we'd have had that if that merger would have gone through we, we wouldn't be having this conversation we would have the uh, we would all been in the NBA but there's some there's some just things that I don't think the modern generation even knows that happened and again, that's why uh, Dick Tinkham and I wrote that book because he just wanted people to know what really happened instead of all this he said, she said crap that's out there. What? Plus we're, plus what? We, like I said, like I said, like I said, uh, uh, this book. Uh, I don't care if we make any money on it, but I know one thing: we want to make some money because part of the proceeds goes to Dropping Dimes, which is, you know, just a great, a great little, uh, little group of guys. And for all the listeners out there, go to droppingdimes.org and you can see uh, what they do for former players. It's a great, it's a great uh, place to note it, donate. Um, so my question to both you guys is, what can a passionate uh, uh, ABA or basketball fan do to help your guys' cause or case? What, what, can, what can, you know, a, a John Abrams who started as, out as a ball boy for the Indiana Pacers and, and now is associated also uh, with, uh, with dropping dimes, what can a passionate basketball player or a basketball fan who loves the game, enjoyed and loved the ABA, do to help, help this? 
Oh, maybe we can get a million. Maybe we, Scott, maybe we can get a million man march in the playoffs and have everybody <laughs> take red, white, and blue balls and barricade the doors so they can get in. <laughs> here's what here's what they can do. Really, in all seriousness, they can they can uh, you know reach out on social media. Uh, they can reach out if they can uh, via email to today's current you know the players if they want to focus in on the guys who can really have the most immediate impact. It would be the executive committee members. So if they go to the NBAPA, the NBA Players Association website, uh, there's a listing of, uh, you know, Chris Paul, of course, is, is the, uh, the chairman, but there's a list of all the players who are uh, who are uh, player reps uh, for the teams, and they can reach out to those players and let them know they're concerned about the ABA players and that they wish, you know, that they hope that the players will give them a platform at one of their meetings and at least and at least talk about it. I mean, they can also reach out to the NBA, but again, I think it's the players who who are the starting point, today's players. You know, and, and, and uh, it's funny, one of our board members happens to be the player rep for Indiana, and that is Miles Turner. He is on our board. Uh, yeah, I think, a, he's, I think he's trying to do what he can. He's not an executive committee right. member, though. Right, but 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 at least he's a he's a you know we've got his ear, and I think you know I think again it's, during the season is a tough time, but uh, I think you know the, the key to it is is getting the people the information to these guys, and because uh, I think I think they would be very sympathetic, and uh, and another thing again like you say money wise uh, the million dollars I mean if you figure what LeBron James makes in a year with all these endorsements I mean, he makes about a million a game. So you know that's it's really it's really a very it, it I don't really think it's even the money I I, I do not think there's a the dollar figure even affects them I think it's just there's a there's some real hard head cases still running in, in the NBA that just don't like the ABA and uh, and uh, I just think it'd be a wonderful PR for him and I think it would be like a you know I talked to it's funny I talked to Bob Cricky he actually called me after Bob Costas called him Bob Cricky's the president of the NBA now and he was the one of the lead attorneys back when they got the pre-65 deal done and I remember when Bob Cricky got it done he made a statement at the press conference and it's all it's on the internet if you want to see it and he said he said well we didn't have to do it but it was the right thing to do and when, and when I talked to him he was very positive, a good guy, really good guy, and he basically agreed with me. It's the right thing to do, but you know he is, like I said, he has to answer to those above him and some people below him. But I, I think I, I just I just think that somehow if it was presented right, it, it could be done. The problem is, is uh, I hope it gets done before we're all dead. <laughs> 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 and that 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 sounds silly, but you know, I swear every time I turn around, there's another uh, there's another person I won't mention his name that uh, Scott and I both know that we just found out has leukemia and is not long for this world. And he he actually played with the Pacers, and uh, you know, it's just it's a darn shame. Every time you turn around, you hear about somebody that's sick, and and uh, and uh, you know, it makes you think. Yeah, but it is. It's your point's well taken. It's not something that is. Uh, it's not a lot of money, and it isn't something that's going to last very long. Unfortunately, you know, it's not. We're not talking about retroactively paying guys for the last, you know, fifty years. We're talking about something that would start today, and again, sadly, would end pretty quickly with some of these guys. And even if you carry it out, you know, kind of from an actuarial standpoint, uh, you know, it's not like you have to look out 
20 years, you know. At right. The work, the work, the fi- there's a finite number of guys. That, and it's like, I, I laugh, the word finite, that's a, it's, a, it's a word that Wendell Lapper would say. I don't know what it means, but it sounds good. And Scott, what what is it like uh, on a daily basis to kind of sit there and look? I, I'm assuming I'm, I'm going to use kind of a uh, – so you're looking at a mountain and the NBA is on top of that mountain and you're going to try and climb it. What are your uh, – uh, how do you keep going at that and chipping at that? And, and do you maintain a communication with the uh, NBA about this? Um, are you uh, – do they want to come to the table or is this something that is a, is a, um, a paperwork court issue i mean how can you get together with the nba to to get that ear and to get some momentum to get going for it it's definitely not a court or a legal issue there's no that's that's the um i think that's the reason i'm so passionate about it is because there is no there's legal obligation on the part of the nba or the teams to do it and so it makes it a lot easier um from for me and for my you know my colleagues on the dropping dimes foundation to say you know, hey, we like we want to maybe educate some of today's players about what what an unbelievable impact the ABA had, and how important the four ABA teams are who came into the NBA, and 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 how much these these few guys from that long lost legendary league are suffering, and how little it would cost to fix it, and just have them you know it'd be such an easy thing for them to fix. We have been in uh, you know fairly consistent communication with very high level. I mean, they're talking to us. The uh, you know the NBA executives have spoken with us. The uh, you know the NBPA executives have spoken with us. The NBRPA, the Retired Players Association, speak with us. Um, and I just think that the message is, hey guys, you know we hear you. We feel bad. We want to do something, but you got to get the players on board with us. And and then that gets us into sort of the untouchables scenario, where it's almost impossible to reach these guys, which is. Which is funny to me because when I was a kid, you know, Neto, I hate, I can't believe I'm going to say this on air, but Neto was my yeah. hero, right? I mean, Mel was my hero. You know, Freddie, George, guys are friends, and they're the nicest guys in the world. And so it's so hard for me to imagine as a basketball fan that it is this impossible to reach current NBA players to talk to them about some of their own brothers, you know? You know, I'm I'm just gonna I'm just gonna use this because you know we gotta toss in a little comedy. Do you think maybe it uh, people have wanted to fix this and they've been calling Louis Dampier, but he just doesn't want to answer his phone? <laughs> it's so funny. I've got a call out. I've got two calls out to Louis this week, and he hasn't answered either one of them. <laughs> well, hey, yes, Dan is. Dan told me if you call Louis, you might he might call you back in at least three weeks. That's what Dan told me. So. <laughs> I think I think if you want to, if you really want to get a hold of Louie, you call Dan. Hey, by the way, can I plug? You know, Billy, is it okay to plug a couple of uh, fundraisers that are coming up here? Please, for please, time? please, go ahead. I mean, they'll be full of laughs. Trust me. I mean, I mean, we're we're going to go down to um, down to Louisville in a in a couple of months, and we're going to have the Indiana Pacers. We'll come down in a little caravan, you know, a few fans and and a busload of. Uh, you know, of the ABA Pacers, you know, Darnell and Neto and George McGinnis and Slick, uh, Jerry Harkness, um, Dave Robish, Billy Keller. And we'll, we'll, those guys are going to head down to Louisville, and we're going to um, uh, have them in a venue where fans can listen to the ABA Pacers uh, take the microphone on stage and go head-to-head against the, the ABA Kentucky Colonels 
and and uh, Daryl Carrier and, and Dan Essel, Artist Gilmore, Louis Dampier, and 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 it'll and and Joe Hamilton, who's just one of the funniest guys you'll ever want to talk to in your life. And trust me, we did one of these up here that was just the Pacers, the ABA Pacers at the Jewish Community Center a couple of years ago, and people were just crying, laughing the entire time. We thought we were going to have some kind of an agenda. And all you have to do with these guys is hand them hand them a microphone, and just say, tell okay. us about some of the wars you guys had in the games and tell us about some of the playoff battles and the ABA championship battles and then you just sit back and crack up laughing. So uh, there'll be more information about that one on the on the uh, Dropping Dimes website soon. And then right after that, sometime this summer, we'll have just the ABA uh, Pacers back again at the Jewish Community Center here in Indianapolis. And just trust me, it will be a hoot. So it just, just you know keep looking for updated information on droppingdimes.org about both of those. I'll tell you, Billy, you really missed the greatest thing of all, though. About three years ago, we had a roast for Slick. And uh, it might have been one of the... It put Dean Martin's roast to shame. <laughs> now, will <laughs> you be able to... Will, we, will you be able to find all that information on droppingdimes.org? And also, tell everybody how easy it is to be able to support and donate through droppingdimes.org. Yeah, I'm happy to do that really quickly. That's, uh, that's, that's really easy. You can go to droppingdimes.org and you can donate with via PayPal or you can, there's an address, and you, um, you can send a check to Dropping Dimes at 111 Monument Circle, Suite 2700, Indianapolis, Indiana, 46204. Um, or again, you can, you can, there's, a, there's a donation button right on the homepage of the Dropping Dimes website, and it'll take you right to an area where you can donate um, via pay, PayPal. And again, we're a 501c3, so your donations are, are tax deductible. And uh, we have, you know, we have they'd be lowest administrative expenses you could possibly imagine. We don't have any pay. None of us are paid. Um, none of us uh, take any money. And whenever we have um, fundraisers, we actually pay our expenses through uh, through donations from the operating board members. So we don't even use our money to pay for those fundraisers. And that's unusual. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, Scott, I, I know you are a busy person. I think we're going to uh, get off with you, and I'm going to chat with uh, uh, Neto a little bit about his book. Uh, but uh, we appreciate you joining us. People, please go to uh, droppingdimes.org. You would be uh, amazed at the things that these people can do for some of the smallest things that you wouldn't think that would be helpful is helpful. So please go to droppingdimes.org. Find out the events that they're going to have. Uh, like he said, uh, these ABA players, um, a lot of the times when I get the chance to interview these guys, they'll be like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to talk about for 45 minutes, and then you can never shut them up. So if you can go to these events... <laughs> Uh, go to these events and please uh, help out at dropping di droppingdimes.org. Uh, what I'm going to do today after I get off the phone with both these guys is myself uh, uh, living in Houston, Texas, is uh, uh, send my letter to Daryl Morey and to Chris Paul and to uh, some of the uh, uh, players for the Houston Rockets and see if we can get this ball rolling. So if you live in San Antonio, do the same thing with the Spurs. You live in Indianapolis, do the same thing with the Pacers, Philadelphia 76ers, New Jersey Nets, so on and so forth. So uh, Scott, thank you for joining us and we appreciate your time 
Hey, thank you very much, Billy. And really hey, quickly, Scott. when we were at the uh, hey, Conrad Scott. Hotel, Joe and I, Daryl Morey was there, so you can tell him that uh, we were the two crazy guys that that, uh, that that caught up with him. And so, By the way, he was a really nice guy, and he listened to us for a long time. But thank you so much for having yeah, me on the we, show. I really appreciate it. The reason we the reason we caught up with him was we gave uh, the coach, uh, 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 you know, he used to play in the ABA, we gave him a book. Remember, Scott? Yeah, Mike D'Antoni. Hey, Scott, before you leave, tell everybody the, the, who's on the advisory board. Oh, um, yeah. So we, it's pretty it's a pretty impressive group. We've got Matt Calvin, Bob Costas, Louis Dampier. Uh, we always keep Mel Mel Daniels up there in memoriam. Uh, Slick Leonard, Dan Issel, Spencer Haywood, Artis Gilmore, George Gervin, George McGinnis, Reggie Miller, Neto, Rick Berry, Brian Taylor from the Nets. Uh, Miles Turner of the Pacers, uh, Peter Vesey, and uh, Slick's wife, Nancy Leonard. So it's, a, it's an amazing group of legends. Very nice. Okay. Yes, thank hey, you, Scott. Patrick. Neto, I'll catch up with you later for a beer. Hey, i got to get that letter from Vital, too. <laughs> See ya. Okay, bye. Okay, Bob. How you, uh, so, uh, what do you, uh, um, so uh, how's the book doing, by the, by the way, called We Changed the oh, Game, you know, which... It's doing. It's it's doing well. It, you know, it, anything with it. We we you know we we went into this thing. We didn't have a big publisher or anything like this. And a real interesting story. Uh, John Abrams is dropping dimes and uh, went to North Central High School. And John uh, became a really uh, top-notch eye surgeon. Went to medical school. Well, one of the guys he went to school with is a guy named uh, Hilton Hudson. And Hilton played uh, basketball. With the uh, uh, for North Central at the same time the Pacers when I was playing with the Pacers, he's uh, he's about a six foot guard black kid, uh, really uh, good player, but wasn't good enough to you know play in college. But he was a big basketball fan. He used to come over. We used to let the kids, the uh, high school players, play with us when we practiced in the summer. So he found out about this book, and it just so happens that he finished med school, went to Chicago, and became a really top notch. Uh, famous uh, cardiovascular surgeon, and he and a group of, uh, of of people own a publishing company called Hilton Publishing. And uh, he heard about it, and he gave us a call and told us, "Look, I want to be part of this book. I love the Pacers. Uh, I'll do it." Da, 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 da. And he he basically picked up the tab for uh, for getting the book published, and uh, and I think we finally we broke even, and uh, we're going to start making a little money. And like I said. Uh, part of uh, we send a check uh, a lot of the proceeds every every month hopefully to the dropping dimes and uh, and uh, so it, it was just an interesting story of how the darn, whole darn thing started and it basically you know how it started it started four years ago or five years ago Dick Tinkham who was the original Pacer owner Dick was the league counsel president of the ABA uh, he basically held the league together for eight years and he got one day I was at his house <clears throat> and he told me he said he was laughing, and I said, "What's well, so funny?" And he said, "I was reading some stories about the Pacers." And he said, "None of me, none of them are even close to being true." And I said, "What do you mean?" And he said, "Well, I'm gonna tell you some stories." And he started telling me stories, and I said, "You gotta be kidding!" And he said, "Boy, I'd love to write a book." And I said, "Well, let's do it." And four years later, it took a while. We found a writer named Robin Miller, who was an NBC uh, personality. And Robin, when he was a young kid, was a cub reporter. Uh, and went with the Pacers for the first two or three years. He was on the road with us when he was like 18 years old. And I nicknamed him Jimmy Olsen, Cub Reporter. 
so he uh, uh, he agreed to write it, and he he writes for the internet. He writes for Racer dot com, and he's a big uh, IndyCar uh, pit reporter. And so we started telling these stories, and the the the, the story that really got me going was, and we start the book out this way is in 1969, the first round of the playoffs, we played Kentucky. It was the second year in the league. And we got down 3-1 to them, and we came back, and we had the seventh game in Indianapolis in the first round of the playoffs, and we were a 10-point underdog going into the game. And uh, they had a really good team down there in Kentucky, and, you know, Louie and, and Dampier and all those guys. And, and he... Uh, Little did we know that the board of directors for the Pacers had a had a board meeting that morning of the game, and they met with attorneys, bankruptcy attorneys. And had we lost that game, they were folding. They were filing Chapter Eleven or Thirteen, and the next day, and they were going to fold the team. Now, if, if they would have folded the team the next day, there would be no downtown Indianapolis. There would be no Colts. I mean, you really think back. And I said, I told him, you got to be kidding. And he said, yeah, he said, we didn't tell you, we didn't tell Slick, we didn't tell Mike Storm, we didn't tell anybody. But we ended up winning the game and went to the finals that year. And that's what kept us going money-wise, because they were basically out of money. And back then, it wasn't the billionaires that owned the team. It was like six or seven guys that had regular jobs around town, and they just weren't going to lose any more money. And that, that basically is what jump-started the team. And then there's other stories like that that happened in the league. There's one where a guy was ready to fold uh, his team and quit the league, and Tinkham took him into the bar at 10 o'clock in the morning and pumped a bunch of scotch in him and got him to wait about two days and brought another owner in. And the stories, you know, they always say fact is funnier, more amazing than fiction, which is really true. And uh, it, it just, it's, it's just crazy the stuff that went on back then could never happen in today's world because of the money. Uh, at these events that um, uh, that you can see on DroppingDimes.org, uh, do you guys bring your books, or do you sell your books at these events, or? Yeah, you know, we're, we're, we have. Well, we had that last event. The book wasn't out, the one at the center, but uh, we're going to do that now. We're going to we're going to take some over because, uh, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people, you know, we, there's a small bu- advertising budget with the, with with uh, Hilton. He really doesn't have the, and, and we weren't in this to make a m- bunch of money. We just wanted to tell our story. But it turned out that the book really is. A, I don't. Do you have one, Billy? By the way, have you read it? <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, I, and it's a fabulous book you know, too. It's a, it's a really neat and, and well done book. It's not some cheapy and and uh, they, and the stories in it are, are are fascinating about the merger and about stuff that went on in the league and and the, the another story when the guy I don't know if you read it where the guy called from his duck blind down in Houston the guy that owned the Houston team he's out hunting ducks and called and said. I'm through with this league. Screw you! And hung up. Said sue me and hung up on him. And that's when all the league almost folded for 12 hours. And take them, put that deal back together somehow. And uh, just, just, just amazing stuff. But I think it's it's a fun book. It's a quick read. And uh, the beautiful thing about it on the top of the book, Bob Costas says, if you love if you love the ABA and love basketball like I did, you love this book. I mean, where can you get a better endorsement than that? But uh, I'll tell you what, we have a Facebook page, We Change the Game, if people want to go to Facebook. And we also have a website, wechangethegame.com. And if people want to order the book, it's Hilton Publishing and uh, or Amazon. But Hilton Publishing, I, they give you a better deal, I think. So, But uh, it's uh, we're, having, we're having a lot of fun with it, I'll put it that way. 
Actually, I just hey, I just sent a book to. I uh, just got a letter back from. I just sent a book to Dick Vitale to read it. He said he, he really liked it and sent me a just sent me a letter back. So that uh, I'm trying to get it out to as many people as we can. Uh, so so you sent it to Dick Vitale in Florida. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I sent it down to his house. Down. He lives down Lakewood Ranch down in Sarasota. Yeah, he's a really good guy. He's a good friend of Mel Daniels and. Uh, and he has that uh, he has that uh, fundraiser every May, the Dickie V Foundation thing down there, and it's a big big deal. I, I still haven't made it. I got an invitation. I just want to tell you, but your schedules in May, you know, with the race and everything, it's tough to it's tough to get out of Indiana. Yeah, and you have to work around that schedule in May, don't you, Bob? You you love the Indianapolis oh, yeah. 500, don't you? You love racing, don't you? Oh, yeah. Oh, I love it. I, this will be my 52nd race I've been to. Wow. God damn. I'm old, aren't I? But, uh, but uh, oh, I'll tell you, another guy I sent the book to, and I talked to him, and he, I couldn't believe, he called me, and I couldn't believe, remember Jim Gray? Yep. Uh, announcer from uh, NBC Jimmy? Well, he was out in California, and he called me, and I didn't realize he, when the ABA was around, he was a ball boy for the Denver Rockets, or whatever Denver was back then. Denver is the Rockets, wasn't it? Denver Rockets? Oh, I Denver think... Nuggets, or Denver something back then. <laughs> Uh, when, uh, and uh, and did, he enjoy, did he enjoy the book? Oh yeah, he really enjoyed the book. But he, uh, he, but he was telling me. He said, "Yeah, he said I was a I was a ball boy for two years." I said, "You got to be kidding me!" <laughs> it's amazing how the fingers are out there. You know, there's there's people remember. It. Of course, I think you got to be a hundred years old. But other than that, you're all right. Neto, what <laughs> what what enticed you to go with the ABA instead of the NBA? Well, you have to remember back back when I came out, uh, when I was in college, nobody even thought of playing in the NBA. There, there was no television, there was no money. The only time you might see a game on TV would be there'd be a tape game where Russell and Wilt played against each other, Philadelphia against Boston. Uh, they never showed the playoffs. They never showed the playoffs were maybe shown the tape tape delay, and uh, the All Star game was never shown. And uh, I could, and there was just, it just wasn't that big a deal. And you got to remember, in 1966, Billy, there was only eight NBA teams, eight. That's it. There wasn't 30. There was eight. And um, you know, eight, eight teams of 10 players apiece. That kind of cuts down the, uh, you know, no matter how good you are, there's only room for so many players. Now we got 450 players out there. So uh, on rosters, but uh, anyway, I got out. I got I got drafted by uh, um, the Pacers, and I didn't know who that. You know, who's the what is the ABA? Who are the Pacers? I had no clue. So I they flew me over to uh, uh, to talk to them. You know, it was kind of funny I, when I was in college. I was in I loved the airplanes and flying, and I was in a flying club, and they sent me money for a plane ticket. And it was cheaper for me to rent the club plane and fly it myself over there than it was to buy a plane ticket. <laughs> so I rented the club plane and flew over there, and they made a big deal out of it, like I was a private, my own plane or something, which is a bunch of crap. But uh, I sat down, I talked to them for a while, I talked to Tinkum, and they told me all this stuff. And Mike, the funny part, Mike Storen picked me up in about a 10-year-old car. And my first dinner in Indianapolis was 12 White Castles. <laughs> I mean, they really know how to wine and dine me. I mean, I, I, you know, it wasn't St. Elmo's; it was White Castle. But you know what? They were, they were pretty. Hey, you know what? They were pretty darn good. I well, I ate twelve of them. But uh, anyway, so I flew back home. They offered me twelve thousand dollars 
Okay. And I thought, well, you know, I wasn't bad for, you know, for a kid out of school. Because you got to remember the highest salaries in the NBA back then were, you know, I think Wilton Russell made a lot of money, maybe 50, 90 grand. But, you know, I think Jerry West was 30,000. Was, was just big money back then. So they offered me 12 grand. And I came back home and I get a, I get a call from uh, a guy in, in San Diego. And the San Diego Rockets uh, tr- drafted me in the NBA. I was like the, me and Pat Riley were the two picks, and uh, and uh, they offered me twelve grand, but they didn't give me a no cut. So I went back to Indiana, and I, and I got I finally got them up to a staggering sixteen thousand, but they gave me a no cut and a bonus, and and I, it was you know I, I had no they thought I was going to lose me to the San Diego, but I can care less about that. But where I really got them, Billy. Mike Storen said, we'll lease you a car for a year. And I said, okay. He said, what kind of car do you want? I said, I want a Corvette. And the, he, you know what he asked me? He said, who makes that car? And I said, Chevrolet. And he said, okay, deal. So they wrote, <laughs> and I, I think the damage, I think the insurance for a 20-year-old, some old kid on a Corvette was more than my contract. <laughs> it was big money for that, for, you know, the insurance on a Corvette for a kid. <clears throat> but that—that's the reason. I, I, you know, the NBA was, and you got to remember that year Earl Monroe came out the same year as I did, and he was the, like the first or second round pick in the NBA, and he signed a two-year contract for twenty-four thousand a year. And we thought he broke the bank. I mean, we thought, oh my God, how could you make that much money? And that was kind of funny because that's what I told Chris Paul. I said, you know, Chris just signed that new contract four years for forty million a year. <laughs> I told him, I told him what Earl signed for it. He, he said he couldn't believe it. He started laughing. What was the conversation like with Chris Paul? I mean, what, 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 what? Uh, how did that transpire? You, know, you know, you know, you know. These guys were buses late, and we were old. Uh, you know, Scott and I were sitting in the bar, and here they come. Here they come in the door, and. And the main reason we were down there was to give Mike D'Antoni uh, his ring. His also his ABA. Uh, you know, we had these really nice rings made for the reunion. Right. And we had one. We had one made for him, and he couldn't make it. So we were down there to give him his ring. And uh, I was just standing there talking to him, and all of a sudden, in walks Chris Paul. I just walked over and said, "Hey, Chris, what's going on?" I introduced myself, and he was a really nice guy. Talked to me for 10, 15 minutes, standing there in the lobby, and I kind of told him what was going on. And, and he told me to send him some stuff, so I sent him a little synopsis of what we're doing, and I actually sent him one of our books too. And uh, so, uh, and I hope he reads it. But uh, anyway, that was kind of. But he's a nice, nice guy. I mean, wasn't cocky or wasn't. Some of those guys are, you know, some guys can be real jerk butts, but he was a real nice guy. The name of the book is called We Changed the Game. Uh, we've been chatting with uh, four-time All-Star, two-time ABA champion, Bob Nedelicki. Uh You can go to uh, wechangethegame.com. There's also a Facebook page called We Changed the Game. Uh, uh, you can get the book on Amazon, uh, but uh, a fabulous read. Uh, also, go to droppingdimes.org. If you are a passionate ABA basketball fan, uh, you know, do what you can do to, to support uh, uh, droppingdimes.org and also to uh, maybe write letters to uh, maybe your local NBA team to see if we can get uh, some of these uh, players helped out. Uh, Bob, I know we ran a little bit long, but I appreciate your time. Uh, you're also you're always a, a, a great interview and a, a great personality, and uh, I, I enjoy having you on. Hey, no problem, Billy. Hey, when did you move to Houston? 
I, I moved to Houston back in 1996. Uh, a lot of people asked me. A lot of people asked me how I got to Houston, and it was literally women and shoes. You know, I, I worked at, I worked shoes uh, in retail, and I just followed the women and the shoes. <laughs> <laughs> well, as you know, I told you. You know, I'm going to be living pretty close to you next year. You know, you know it's interesting. I, I know you said you were gonna. Uh, you know who you should probably get together with. You, you, who, heck, you may even be neighbors once you get down there. Is uh, uh, Rudy Tomjanovich? He moved to Austin also. Oh, really? Well, you know, Jeff Foster lives there. Jimmy Silas lives there. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's there's some NBA guys, and of course, you know, I I I knew you know I know Red McCombs down in San Antonio. I had lunch with him when I was down there one time. So. I tell you, I really like Austin. It's a very nice, really nice city. And, you know, like I said, I'm outvoted. Two grandkids, daughter, and my wife. So I have no choice. I got to go. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate it. I'll get it up and on uh, later on uh, this evening.